Christmas time. You know what we should do is we should invite someone in to talk about a book that takes place during the holiday. A book that we can read together at the end of the month, bring in Pamela Bedore and have her give us an education. We have with us today author James Crooks who wrote a book called Do They Know It's Christmas Yet? This is our December book club book. We're going to discuss it with Professor Pam on December 20th. You can read along with us. Send us your questions and reactions. We would love to hear from you. But today we get to hear from the author himself. Good morning, James. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So happy to see you straight from England. You've got the the English accent. I'm not going to mention Doctor Who. Okay. <laughs> okay. I won't then either. We'll wait until the questions where I ask about Doctor Who. That's fine. James has been writing comedy and television and radio for over 20 years. He's contributed to shows on BBC One, CBBC, and CBBS, along with producing and co-presenting the Bauer Radio Breakfast Show, Big John at Breakfast, since 2004. Big John at Breakfast. I, I have an American uh, idea of what that is. What is that in, in English parlance? Uh, well, Big John was something. I worked with a guy called John, who's the main host on the show, and he was basically he is six foot four, so he was tall. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, his his uh, his appetite soon caught up with the title, and he was big for a while. But uh, yeah, I think he's very much regretting that title because eighteen or twenty years on, it's it's a bit of a an, an old fashioned. Well, it seems to age us a little bit, but yeah, that's all it is. We're, we're a couple of six-footers here, so we, right. he fits in very well with us. Hopefully you uh, fit in with him well. And, and is, what's the show? What's it all about? It's a breakfast show. It's a commercial breakfast show in the north of England in Yorkshire. And basically, we, we get up uh, at 4 a.m. every morning uh, and feel jet-lagged uh, and shout at one another. And then as soon as we open the mics, we're the best of friends. We talk about television. We talk about celebrity. We play the latest uh, well testing hits we don't take any risks with new music so we just like a, a hot music format station and uh, just talk nonsense every morning for four hours I love it I, I love radio I've always wanted to be in radio that was my intended uh, career path and here I am a middle school teacher oh what <laughs> did you try I don't know I don't know how how much I've tried but boy podcasting has has changed my life I'll tell you that much that's great to hear. Well, I I fell into it by mistake, to be honest with you. I I never I I never really wanted to be in radio. I wasn't that I didn't want to be in radio. It just wasn't my ambition. wasn't on my radar. But I feel um, very privileged to be doing it because since I have been doing my job uh, for eighteen years, I regularly get approached by young people coming through uh, asking how they should how they could get my job, and I just feel such a cheat because I think, well, I can't really advise you because I I stumbled into it. But um, yeah. I, you're doing great as you are with the podcast. So don't worry, you've not missed anything. And teaching is probably the best job. My wife's a teacher and uh, the joy she, she, she gives the kids and that they give her and the stories she tell are uh, quite a privilege. Which brings us to your story. You have written a novel. This is your first novel. It's a comedic and uh, a nostalgia trip into Christmas of 1984, right? 
That's right. Well, it's called Do They Know It's Christmas Yet? Because it was based on the record, Do They Know It's Christmas Yet? by Band-Aid, which was quite a big deal for me as a teenager because I was 14 years old when that was released. And I've often often wondered how much uh, that that sort of sort of resonated with the United States, because I know off the back of that, uh, we had a USA for Africa and Live Aid. But at mm-hmm. the time, did it did it chart in America when it was first out? Was it on? absolutely? And in fact, not only did it chart, MTV was was at its time when it actually played music. Yeah. So the video went, you know, probably every hour they were playing that video, but it's still played today. I mean, we joke about the radio for- formats in the United States. Um, November first, um, some radio station will start playing Christmas music or holiday music. And they'll play it all the way to the 26th of December, the day after Christmas. And Band-Aids, Do They Know It's Christmas, is one of the 15 songs, there's only 15, that they will rotate. (laughs) So you get your fill of this song still today. Yeah, yeah, we do the same. We do the same. I, I work in radio, and you're quite right. You described it very well. It's a similar number of the usual suspects. So they're they're kind of ruined for me because when I get home, I don't want to listen to them. They don't make me feel festive. You know, they, they, they I just totally uh, overexposed to them. So this book, oh, in fact, let's go ahead and start with that. Tell us a little bit about this story. Well, the story is a, it's a comedy really. It's rather than a time travel story, because I know that as soon as I uh, I sort of talk about time travel, a lot of people yawn and think about science fiction, um, which is possibly fair, possibly not, depends how much you like the genre. Um, I, but I, spoilers, as I say, I was... I love the genre. I know, I know pretty, you love the genre. I know you all love I genre. read is, is time travel, <laughs> and, and, and pretty much all I watch is Doctor Who. Go on. Uh, well, this is why I'm nervous talking to you. This is why I'm so nervous, because I'm thinking, oh, no, is he going to enjoy the book? But... Um, <laughs> As, as I mentioned, I, I was a teenager in 1984, and I was a big fan of pop music. Because at that time, when you're mid-teens, the music defines everything. It defines you. Uh, it defines who your friendship groups might be. It defines what you wear. defines who might you know want to go on a date with you. It defines everything. And the lyrics mean they're written for you, right? You're heartbroken because someone doesn't want to go out with you or, or whatever. Um, so at that time, there was Duran Duran, Spandau Ballet. There was Frankie Goes to Hollywood. There was Wham, who I adored. Uh, we had over here, I don't know if Paul Young made such a big impact on the States, but Alison Moyet. Um, there were bands that really I thought were very special. And the passage of time, I believe, has proved that that was quite a golden era for music because in terms of uh, songs that come around uh, on on many radio formats, the 80s still tests incredibly well. And it was a rich vein of iconic music. Um, So I remember being at school when someone said, they're going to do a charity record because of that that, uh, news report on the BBC that Michael Burke presented. Um, Because... Just very briefly to fill you in, the BBC it was obviously it still is the main broadcaster in in the in the United Kingdom, and they on their six o'clock news ran a, a news story and they led with it about uh, a famine that the the reporter called a biblical famine, and he showed these horrific images uh, of dying babies, families, parents, brothers, sisters. It was it was brutal, and it was a it was a revisit to a, a famine that he. he touched on in the summer but it was broadcast on october the 23rd and uh it goes down in history as as being the 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 starting point for ultimately band-aid usa for africa live aid simply because the lead singer of the boomtown rats 
Bob Geldof was watching that news report. And there's a lot of serendipity because apparently it was a no news day, as they call it in the media. It was a no news day. They had this file, sorry, this report on file uh, for a while and said, let's let's lead with that that news report that Michael Burke's done in, in Ethiopia because nothing else is making the headlines today. So it was top of the news. Bob Geldof saw it and broke down in tears and famously prompted him to write Band-Aid, but get the, these bands together. But at the school gates, when we were talking about it, we were saying that there was no way. There's no way they're going to get George Michael in the same room as as Paul Weller from The Jam and uh, Simon Le Bon, Duran Duran, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Boy, George, very outspoken. They were constantly, I'm trying to choose my language uh, in a clean way, berating so, one another. Yeah, it's kind of sparring. <laughs> That's yeah. right, sparring, sparring in, in, the, in the music media and in the, in the press, you know, the print and press, the magazines, the kids would be reading and the TV. They, you know, they hated one another. And if at school you were a Durani, you wouldn't hang out with a Spandau fan. You know, they were, <laughs> this is a big deal. Uh, you might hang out with them, but you'd constantly be, you know, um, sparring and, and saying, terrible, that your band's terrible. My band's brilliant. And if your band got to number one, you know, you were pretty pretty much a big deal in the playground that, that day. Um, so we couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe it. And then when finally we saw the video and we listened to the song, everyone went, that's terrible. What a terrible song. What a terrible video because they all look ugly and messy and sweaty. Awful. Um, and because it wasn't it wasn't the sort of same key or melody or up tempo. You think about Wild Boys, Duran Duran. Uh, you think about Freedom by Wham or Wake Me Up Before You Go Go. It was a very different genre at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was Major from a band called Ultravox who basically did most of the work anyway because he was in hand in hand with Bob Geldof doing that. So it does sound a little bit like, are you familiar with Vienna, Ultravox? Um, they were a very I, I, synth band, craft work type style, you know? I am familiar. Yeah, there's so much synth on there. Um, but, you know, time's shown that not only was it actually a good tune, but also I think it went into so many people's DNA because back then in Britain, there were just three TV channels mm -hmm. uh, and they were playing it all mm -hmm. the time. So all of the population bought it. People were buying the record as, as instead of Christmas cards. They were buying 10 copies if they could. It was the first time ever that um, this sort of altruism cut through the whole of the country and it felt good to be part of that. But it also broke a lot of the fun of the music scene because everyone became mates and, and 1985 came around and the music was still great, but it did change something fundamentally. So all the time growing up and still to this day or till recently, I thought, what if Bob hadn't seen that news report? What if he hadn't seen it? Because he was such a proactive, fearful character, really. Uh, you know, he would lie. To, he said he would lie to get people to do it. He bumped into Spandau Ballet in an antique shop uh, and said, oh, Joanna doing it, so are you going to do it? And they went, yeah, okay. So then he go to Joanna and say, Spandau are doing it, so you've got to do it. Um, and that was the way he operated, and he got these people together. I don't think anyone else could, anyone else could have done it. So my, my thought really has always been, what if he hadn't seen it? And I thought I wanted to write a screenplay about that um, or a book about it. Um, and at the time, I thought initially it would be so funny if Bob hadn't seen it and one of the D-list or E-list celebrities had the idea but couldn't get anyone to join in. I just imagined the likes, you know, Nick Kershaw, Howard Jones, some of these people, or Bananarama knocking on people's doors saying, I've got an idea for a Christmas song and people just slamming the door in their face. But that was more of a sketch. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't see any mileage in that. So I thought what I would do is I would send two people from 2020 
back in time accidentally and they will incapacitate Bob Geldof just before he sees the news report and they don't know they've done it. So it's very it's quite a complicated plot to explain. It's pretty straightforward, but it starts at Christmas in Sheffield in Yorkshire, two thirty somethings, brother and sister, not failing at life. We all think we're failing at life, but both thinking they could do better. She's a single mum. He's got pretty much low ambitions, but he's got his, his issues with some autistic qualities and dyspraxia, which I know because it's in my family. Uh, and I know it's not a disability. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful strength. Um, and so there's no cynicism and there's no, I'm not preaching to anyone at all. I just wanted to see someone, because he, he says things how he sees it, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, and so, and it's a simpler time in the 80s. So he goes back and kind of fits in. She goes back and thinks, I just want to go home because she's accidentally left her baby back in 2020. Mm. Then they see the news report. But right after the news report, they see that Bob Geldof has been hospitalized because some strange moped has knocked him over in the street and they realize it was them. So they have to get the news report to Bob Geldof and fix time. And fix Christmas. This this is the the Sheffielders that that saved Christmas. <laughs> That's right. Yes, it is. And um, because, well, their, their family is from Sheffield, and they are actually from London. Um, because I wanted to tie in a lot of things that were happening in pop culture in, in 1984. So um, they, as they, as a lot of ge this generation, I'm sure it's very similar in the states, but certainly in the UK at the moment, the property market is horrific uh, and people people are living with their parents now till their mid-30s and sure. uh, it's quite a common thing uh the, the the there are two protagonists really but the boy never never really left uh and she left but came back so she's one of those as we all i did it in my younger days um you know your tail between your legs you're constantly trying to be a grown-up and prove to your parents that you can do it but when you're living in your old bedroom is is hard but they travel from london to sheffield to the main family home of the grandma um as they have done forever for, for her tash for 36 years she's done that so she's sort of begrudgingly there she loves her family but she's thinking how the hell did it get to this you know i'm still here my mum's telling me what to do my grandma's telling me i've lost too much weight uh, i've got a baby now and they stay up late and find a little go-kart in the loft which their grandfather built well sort of amended for them as kids and they used to ride around they went oh my lord look we, we found the old christmas ride let's get on it but they see their grandfather who's now dead had made some changes and they kind of turned into a weird time machine with some computers like a uh, it's called a sinclair spectrum but it's like the commodore type computers or the sort of 80s stuff um and they just mess around thinking that it's going to play some songs from 1984 but no bang off they go. Um, so Christmas Eve for them is is not what they anticipated at all. So let me bring, um, ask a question about the 1980s, because we go back to the 1980s, particularly 1984. What makes the 1980s so distinctive from, say, the 70s or the 90s or even today? That's an excellent question. I, I, I've i looked back at it. I remember in the 80s, I mean, I even tried to be a pop star because I wanted to be one and failed, but I did get into some recording studios because I just thought music was everything. And I think it was the perfect time uh, of the mixture of punk and all those things that had come around for the first time in the late 70s, when prior to that, no one 
had dreamt of behaving that way. You know, I mean, Elvis shaking his hips, only being filmed from the waist up, uh, and the Beatles were initially considered, you know, as they say in Britain, yobbos, thugs. Low life. A little risque for the time. That's yeah, and that, but then the Stones came along, and everyone wanted their daughters to marry the Beatles all of a sudden. But <laughs> it was, uh, you know, and the, we didn't have teenagers. We learned that expression in the sixties, really, and, and people didn't really use it until the seventies. Teenagers, we're always following America. We we always use you guys for for the lead for everything. But I think it was just we probably go back to the war. You know, there was rationing and there was there was just austerity in Britain in the 50s, 60s. The pop music came through, but people were still very respectful and people were called Mr. and Miss. And, and then the 70s, possibly the legacy from the hippie culture and the permissive society, if I can say that. Google it if you're the right age. Um, <laughs> and, and then I think it was the technology, the fact that all of a sudden, possibly satellites, uh, that we were importing a lot of American television, a lot of American culture. Uh, and we wanted to be you guys. We've always wanted to be you guys. We just, everything's so cool, you know, drive-ins. And we'd had Greece in the late 70s. You know, we when the television opportunities became easier, and I think it is possibly through satellite and MTV, um, the world became a smaller place, but we all became similar to one another. And I thought that, you know, the 50s music sounded different to the 60s, which sounded different to the 70s, and it sounded different to the 80s. And I remember in 1984 thinking, what on earth is music going to sound like in 1995 and 2005? And the record record books will tell us, no different. Technology pretty much peaked. We'd done everything, we'd invented everything in terms of synthesizers. The way we make music since has has evolved a little, but um, it didn't, didn't get much further than that. Well, you had a lot of experimental music, pop music at that time. If we go back from, if you think about the 70s, maybe uh, we move to this high art where, uh, I don't know, bands like Queen and stuff like that sort of have this operatic vision. They stripped it down for punk. But then we kind of reintroduced disco beats and stuff like that through synthesizers and stuff. So we certainly had the technology, so we had a different sound at the time. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking even fashion at the time, what people were wearing, you know, power suits and big uh, shoulder uh, pads and certainly um, the technology of, of creating prints on stuff, patterns on shirts and stuff like that. And we, we certainly, there was something just very modern in a different way. Yeah, it felt exciting. And I, I've got uh, daughters now who are late teenagers uh, and early 20s. And their teenage years admittedly were crushed a little by the pandemic. And I feel Mm -hmm. for them. But prior to that, Mm -hmm. because of technology again, because of Apple, iPhones or Samsung or whatever, um, they don't talk to one another. I remember ringing friends and having the, the gateway was always their parents first because it sure. was the home phone. I mean, asking a girl on a date was excruciating because you'd be sweating because you'd think, I've got to speak to her father and ask, mm-hmm. is she in? Is she in, please? You know, it was terrifying. And, you know, the kids now, you say, why don't you call a mate or talk to a mate? They look at me and say, call them. Because if they say I've been chatting with them all day, they mean messaging. Yes. Um, and it's it's a bit terrifying, really. Mm-hmm. So there's no unique uh, single thing to bond them together. Like when we, in Britain, we had three TV channels in the 80s and everyone would say, did you see this show last night? Yes. 
because there was nothing else to watch. I know there was the, the option of cable in the States, which fascinated us, but literally we had three channels which came to four in the mid eighties, but that was it. And if you, if there was comedy on one channel for me, because I was so terrified of the, uh, the fact that there might be a nuclear war in the mid eighties, mm -hmm. uh, I would seek out the comedy all the time, which is possibly why it's in my bones, but comedy or music, which is not something this generation have because there's just too much choice. Um, so, uh, they're not experiencing teenage years like we did. Um, but sorry, going back to what you're saying, the music yeah. uh, is the bonding thing, I think. Uh, but it's just so diverse now. And you don't buy, you know, you used to get on the bus. I'd get on the bus and go to town and queue up in the record shop and buy my seven-inch single. And it meant something. And if I ever bought a, a, an LP or an album to go home and I'd read the sleeve notes and it was precious. And it was it was like a, a, a club. You're in a club if you, if you bought that and you felt, connection with someone else and it, it was important and turning it over and the sound of the, the needle on the record um all of those things were part of the experience which which again I'm, I'm not i'm not pontificating and say this generation's worse off they're not they had a different life but it was so very special and we had more disposable income there than the people in the 70s and the 60s we had pocket money allowances and whatever and i think in britain and in america you know with with reagan and thatcher we were all told capitalism's great, spend, spend, spend. You know, that was very much power suits, the Duran Duran Rio video. It was just spend money, spend money and be rich and have the biggest shoulder pads you can and, uh, you know, be selfish. Big hair. Very big hair, which I had. Yeah, absolutely. We all could be um, Miami Vice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we loved that as well. We lapped that up. We, as I say, we were we were watching and dreaming of the American dream still over in Britain. That pop culture mirror that that we look through into all of these decades really changes the way we think of this. That your story of living in England in the eighties is very similar to my Gen X story here in Chicago. Though all of those small conversations that we had about these small things that became such huge pieces of who we are. Back to Doctor Who. I I got back to Doctor Who. <laughs> I was watching Doctor Who on the local. TV channel that was showing it for the first time in the 1980s. This was when I experienced that and got to find my group of people yeah. that we love this thing. Kids today, here I am, here I am being old. Kids today, <sighs> they, they have so much choice. They can choose to watch absolutely literally anything that's been produced, yeah. listen to anything, any music that's been produced. Do they get to have that connection with each other? Or do they just have a moment where they just go, oh, have you heard this? Here, let me play it for you. And then they move on to something else. Yeah, yeah. For me, if, if I'm streaming, what well, we all stream now, but if I, I try not to just listen, to 80s music, much as I love it. I, I'm aware that it actually could, being serious for a moment, I think it could lead to anxiety and depression because you just live in a bubble where you, you're not having expanding horizons and your memories sure. attached to those beautiful songs will be diluted by listening to them all the time. And also we're still having a great life. What's your soundtrack to last year? What's your soundtrack to this year? I want it to be new. I try to seek out new things. Um, and so I will listen, scrolling through and suggested playlist but sometimes i'll love a song and then it's gone and i'm like who, who was that where where's it gone how do i get it back and that's the way people consume music these these days and i, th I think you're quite right that um the the connection with it it isn't there and maybe 
maybe it needn't be there and maybe it's not a problem. Maybe we're trying to force something onto them because I'll often say, who's your favourite artist or what's your favourite album? And I have a playlist. I don't have a favourite album because nope. there's a duff track. You know, why would I listen to right. it? But yeah, it, it, maybe it's just different. But um, it doesn't mean we're right, but I, we are right. <laughs> it does mean, absolutely it does. Well, I, I will say that, that that's one of the, the hardest part about being an empty nester. When your children leave your home, all of a sudden your connection to, I don't know, whoever the, the Taylor Swift of, of the moment or the Harry Styles or whoever the hot singer is of the time, well, I don't get introduced to that. Because yeah. all of a sudden, mm -hmm. my youngest daughter brings in some dance rap song that I never would have run across, except yeah. for she was the one who brought it to me. Discovery is the is the problem right now. Trying to find what is the new latest sound for sure. Absolutely, I, I suppose I'm a little bit um, unusual in that I work in commercial radio and we do play new music as long along with um well-tested usuals but it's the killers <laughs> and uh taylor swift you know day in day out harry styles lady gaga all, all of these things and um it's, it's not i do like to hear it but i again i like time out from that as well but um right. yeah I, I would still say if someone had to you know if someone said what's your desert island playlist i'm sure a lot of it would be some 80s classics really yeah, um, it is the end of the year and Spotify has come out with their uh, wrapped that tells you exactly what you listened to for the last 12 months. And um, Weird Al Yankovic is on the top of my list. For some <laughs> I'm not sure, not sure how that happened. Uh, It'll be a glitch. Year. You should drop them an email, uh, tweet them or something. I should <laughs> I, I should mention that that when I go back and I listen to the music of my youth, I'm revisiting that moment, but I try not to listen to that all the time. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that it was a period of time. I experienced life in a certain way. I thought in a certain way. And that was a more immature me. Not that the music didn't have its, you know, it doesn't speak. It's just, it was a different time. And there's one of the real challenges as you get older your themes and the things that you're looking for in your entertainment they can mature and they can they can you know you can revisit a marvel movie because you're revisiting a youthful experience yeah. but things are more complicated yeah uh, now and yeah. some of the the in fact some of the movies that i look at this year that i uh, connect to certainly are themes that are contemporary to me not necessarily to youthful me yeah yeah totally yeah. so the nostalgia piece really kicks in and in your book here you're you're being nostalgic about the holiday of christmas in the 1980s right i am and i'm not because i'll tell you why that's a confusing answer to, to give you but the, the story begins in christmas 2020 when they're living in a pandemic but obviously when bob geldof saw this news report it was in october so it was the it was a run-up to christmas so although Back then in 1984, if you talked about Christmas in November, people would think you were crazy. Now it starts in August in, in, the, in the stores and everything. Well, but, you got um, to stock up early. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's all gone, sold out. But um, so, yeah, it is actually more of a period piece of the winter time 
in England uh, because of the the action takes place then. But it's incidental, really, because they're constantly talking about where they should be and what they should be doing and what grandma's thinking about at Christmas. But one of them points out she's not thinking about anything because it's 1984 and 2020 hasn't happened yet. You know, the brother keeps rationalizing that to his sister who's just saying, I need to get back to my baby. And he's like, don't worry, he doesn't even know you've gone. Um, he's very laid back. But it, I have to stress, it's, there's no anxiety there. There's no child separation. She's She's quite a potty mouth. Is that an expression that resonates in America? She's quite. Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. She's she she does use a few um, inflammatory words, but um, but not that I repeat here. But I hope it's written with love and affection, and it's very very funny. But I have subsequently written more of the story. There are some more books uh, which continue to get closer to Christmas in 1984. So yeah, it's very much a passion of mine. Uh, great memories, and and I'm able to include things that. I either experienced or I thoroughly enjoyed researching it. I'm buying old copies of TV listings and old um, uh, radio listing magazines and all this. And oh, so- TV listings. Oh. Remember TV listings? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and newspapers as well, just to get things factually right. You know, I, if I want to create a fake headline on page two, I'll refer to what they scan past first on the way down. And that's a real tick for a lot of people. But I, I'm mindful that I did not want this to be a period piece just for my generation. Yeah. Um, and I think because I'm I broadcast on the radio and uh, our target audience is, is younger than me anyway, and my humor is very broad and diverse. I think a lot of people's is. We're not stuck in our ways, I don't think, as generations before were. Uh, you know, uh, we can, hopefully, our radio show can make teenagers laugh on the way to school in the car and and 20 something so i think the appeal is pretty broad and certainly given the protagonist 36 and 33 years of age it's not written f- just for my age group and the reason i say that is when when i do refer to those me not me too moments those moments where people go ah oh, light bulb i remember that um i i also i've written it from a way that people who don't remember it might be interested by it as yeah. to what was happening, as to why a teenager might be terrified that there might be a nuclear explosion because of what was going on. As, as a teenager, I remember being terrified that Frankie Goes to Hollywood was so flippant with Two Tribes, their Two Tribes song, uh, which was about nuclear war. They had the Russian president and the American president lookalikes boxing uh, and beating the hell out of one another in a boxing ring. And, sure. I, and there was a nuclear war um siren going and there was a british film called protect and survive which the government had commissioned it was a public information film which were very rarely shown on british television they'd perhaps show them at night time before everyone went to bed you know they'd stop broadcasting at 11 o'clock and say or half 11 and they'd say before you go to bed here's a public information film and it would be unplug all your television sets so you don't have a house fire that sort of thing and we'd sort of whatever or don't play near rivers because you'll drown and they were a bit scary but they commissioned this this 15 or 20 minute thing which was terrifying it was never actually broadcast as a public information film because it was too scary but they broadcast it one night on a documentary to say so it still got aired but they said this is um this is what they were going to show you but we're going to show you anyway and it was it was just people very simply removing doors from their house because they could hear the air siren. They've got a four-minute warning and they want you to get a screwdriver out and take your door off and build an air raid shelter in your lounge. And if you get time, (laughs) paint yourself white to deflect the blast. They said this. And uh, try and get a storage of beans and food, things in tins that you Mm -hmm. can eat. And don't go outside because there's going to be, like, it looks like snow. It won't be snow. It's radioactive fallout. Now, I was 15 
Frankie goes to Hollywood was sort of laughing about this. And I was utterly disturbed by that. Mm -hmm. um, but my protagonists are in their 30s. So I, they weren't disturbed and they didn't really know about it. But just subtleties of what was in, I don't want to say zeitgeist, what was, you know, what was in people's minds, because they actually end up almost moving in with a foster family who take them in uh, somewhere to live. And they're in their 50s too. But they refer to teenagers. They refer to what's going on. And, and the son, sorry, the brother is, he's young at heart. So he's pretty much a teenager in his behavior. So I'm able to, I hope, because my daughter's enjoyed reading it, educate them, not in a patronising way at all, but not exclude them to think this book is not for you, because it is. Because essentially, I wrote it as a screenplay, and I got battered away so many times with production houses that I thought, I'm just going to prove that there is a demand for this book. And I've now, I think I've sold 60,000 copies of, of wow. a self-published book. Um, and normally, I, people say, blow your own trumpet. I'm not very good at it. But apparently, a first-time author, published author, self-published, would sell about 200 copies in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there is definitely a demand for it. I was approached by a production company in the start of the year, British major production company, uh, but we disagreed. I can't believe I'm saying this. We disagreed on the treatment. <laughs> what an idiot. Um, but they wanted to remove a lot of the heart and soul, the likes. There were references to <laughs> Doctor Who. There are references mm -hmm. to Top of the Pops, which was a big British show, which we tried to get to the States. And uh, I don't really think it cut through, but and then we axed it. We, but we, there we, are. We had our version called Solid Gold. You did have your version. Solid Gold. <laughs> but the, those mm -hmm. little things, I, I thought you can't. They wanted to change them because they couldn't get the rights. They were saying, we'll just call it something right. else Doctor When or Miss, yeah. Mrs. How? Mrs. Where. Uh, and that, viewers will know. And I was like, well, viewers will feel ripped off because yep. um, even if you didn't live through it, I'd rather educate than, you know. Uh, and, and I think, I know these references stateside don't necessarily mean a great deal. Actually, um, they been... do. You would be surprised. Oh, really? You've said a, a few times about how much the British uh, people enjoyed American culture. I cannot stress enough, the American culture loves the British culture. And I think that was the, I mean, the 80s was another British wave of music coming yeah. to the United States too. Oh, that's excellent. That's great to know. Um, because I, I didn't, this is one of the few pieces I've written. Well, it's my first book, uh, but it's the first thing I've written without an editor during it. I had just a copyright okay. editor at the end, just for typos. Uh, and she said, do you want an editorial brief and feedback? I said, no, I don't. So if it flies or falls, it's down to me. But I didn't want any intervention. Um, but I didn't write it for an international audience. I just wrote the story, hoping that anyone that reads it will enjoy it because uh, people will say, well, why didn't you put more American references in or, or, or explain things a little bit more, but people aren't stupid. You know, I mean, the British, the, the bulk of the, of the films and the TV that I adored growing up was sitcoms particularly were American. You know, I loved Cheers. I, I loved Frasier. I, I loved the back to the future movies. I, I loved anything American. And so many times you would, I would be hearing them talk about Reese's Pieces or Johnny Carson or The Tonight Show, you know, all these little things. And I had no idea what they were talking about, but I got it. I got that it was important to them. Mm -hmm. And I got that it was a TV show about whatever. And, you know, I hope, I really hope people will give it a go and try to um, just absorb it as it was written, which was with love, really. So so the things that I've really grabbed upon that you, you've just mentioned was 
first of all, Gen X, which is our generation, we're a gift to these young people, to our children, because we are incredibly accepting. And um, certainly the world is, you know, we, we may not be able to define it like boomers did, but we certainly have a way of working with young people. We're young at heart, where maybe previous generations aged much faster. And I also uh, think that this this story, as as I've read through it so far to prepare, certainly Amazon Prime or Netflix or any, this certainly would be an, a holiday type of film that could be made not any different than 8-Bit Christmas or um, Gene Shepard's A Christmas Story. Certainly, it's, it, it, it describes a, a feeling, a period of time, and there's an adventure that you, you go upon that you can be playful with, but you know, certainly the message is the story that, that kind of makes it work. So far, I mean, I, I'm falling right into what you wanted the reader to experience as far as when they read the story. So, I, I mean, I, I'll give you props on that, too. Well, thank you very much. That that really does mean a great deal. Thank you. So what do you want for our listeners to get out of this experience? We, we've got a lot of nostalgia. We've got a lot of pop culture. Where is your theme for this story? Uh, that's a very deep question. Goodness me, I don't think I'm that intelligent. Um, I, I'm quite a complicated person i'm quite shy people think i'm really shy um but i talk every day on the radio and they can't believe it when i'm when they meet me you know i I look at the floor and um i I struggle really in in social situations um but one of the things that has helped me through that from being young has been to be the clown to make a joke you know so people just thought i was the joker and if i tell them i was shy or nervous they, they can't believe it but my brain thinks at 100 miles an hour and I wouldn't say at a funeral, but I probably would make a joke at a funeral. I know it's a lyric from a song, but I I, I see humor in everything. And I wouldn't say it possibly was once a coping me- mechanism, but I'd much rather laugh every day than than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I was so blessed to meet a, a, a lady that feels the same way. And we're celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary this year. And we, oh, wow. we still laugh at really silly, silly things. Um, and I think, while ever you you enjoy laughing, uh, you're going to be okay. We we had a bit of a, a blip this year. I I was diagnosed with cancer uh, at the end of the summer, and um, it really knocked us for six because we thought that one day, you know, one of us is going to get ill. One in two get it in the UK. I'm sure the stats are pretty much the same globally. Uh, well, not in 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 poorer nations. So I take that back. Apologies, but it's been treated and dealt with. Um, I'm cancer free now, but it's made us, we put the house on the market. I'm sitting in a house now that we're going to sell. We're going to downsize. We started to think about the the future and, and how short your time may be. It really made us sit down and think. But the one thing I did do was throw myself into the third book because I wanted to finish the story for so many people that are enjoying hanging out with these people and laughing like I laugh. And I put it away for a while when I was going through some, surgery and stuff and came back to proofread it before I published it. And I found, this sounds awful, but I found myself laughing, which was something you don't normally do at your own work. You you know, I thought, oh, that's nice. Because I I started to really enjoy hanging out with these people. So that was a long-winded approach to say that I want people really to laugh. I want them to fall in love with this family and laugh. And I, I actually approached the BBC with the first book 
um, prior to publishing it. And they only read the first bit in 2020. Um, and she said, yeah, it's great. This is a great family. Don't bother with the period stuff. Uh, 1980s is too expensive. Let's let's do something with this this family. They're really funny. And I I said, it's not about them. <laughs> they leave they leave them behind. There's some new characters, uh, a couple in their 50s in 1984, and these brother and sister in 2020. It's really about the four of them because they explain things to one another. You know, they'll talk about right. what it's like in the 80s, and my guys will talk about the pandemic, which they still think they're, they're, they're you know, they're making that up. I really want people to uh, escape into us. I wonder if it's because it's a safer time. Maybe it's because in the eighties, you know, nothing horrible is going to happen around the corner. With hindsight, yes. yeah. But at the time, it was yeah. it was frightening. It was terrifying. Uh, so yeah. I'm trying to to demonstrate that, but also some just a warm place, a simpler place. But I think all I want, rather than people thinking it's a clever story, I, I mean, I don't know if it is. I hope it is. The second one's a silly sort of story, sort of. Uh, farcical the third one is far more complex it's the first time i really got my comedy chops about trying to write a detailed uh, complex couple of story arcs but but that's because i was planning book four but all the time i just want people to laugh i just want them to laugh and just forget about whatever is on their mind just lose yourselves and laugh and and the problem with the comedy genre um mixed with time travel or sci-fi whatever you want to call it is um if you write a horror story and publish that, or you write a sci-fi story, people will say, uh, could have been better, three out of five, or <laughs> brilliant, five out of five, three, mm -hmm. four, or five out of five. If you write something that's classed as a comedy and it doesn't make people laugh, and why would it? We all have a different sense of humor. Mm -hmm. The haters are vicious. I don't know why I put myself out there. Luckily, you know, I've still got sort of four and a half star rating, but when I published my most recent one, I, I was walking around the house feeling physically sick, thinking, why have you done it? And the first review was viciously awful, absolutely brutal. And I thought, I'm not going to do it anymore. Just not going to write any more books. Happily, that was it. The rest have come through again. And, and the people are enjoying uh, laughing. And I think we need laughter now more than any other time. Fantastic. So where can our listeners find all of your books and, and support you and, and tell you that they are enjoying this book so that you can write some more? <laughs> well, look, if anyone is kind enough to check this out and they don't like it, just shut up about it. Just shut up. Just don't tell anyone. You're probably going to get your money back anyway. You can do on Amazon. So shut up about it. Um, I'm kidding. Tell me the truth. But yeah, it is Amazon exclusive. Because I chose to do this independently, I don't have deep pockets. I don't have any money. I have a mortgage. Uh, and uh, Amazon offer an amazing uh, service where you can self-publish. Um, don't get me wrong. They'll take their share of of the royalties, but it's it's a print-on-demand service. So I, I upload my heavily crafted manuscript after 12 months of, of, of hard work, and they can uh, send it out to you either as a paperback or as a Kindle or or you could listen to it uh, either on uh, Apple or Audible. So basically, the first stop, really, I would suggest is Amazon.com. And just search, do they know it's Christmas yet? Or James Crooks, which is my name, James Crooks with an E, C-R-O-O-K-E-S. That's not an American name, is it? You wouldn't have that over there. Nope, that is definitely a very British name, sir. <laughs>
It's a pirate name. Arr. It is a pirate. I, th <laughs> I thought about a pen name at the time, but I thought, oh, it's too complicated. And also, given I, I broadcast on the radio, I thought maybe at least 10 listeners might buy it. So um, that's why I stuck with my name. Very good. Jamescrooks.com. You're on Facebook. Are, are you still on Twitter for now? I am. <laughs> unless they've kicked me off. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I've just joined TikTok uh, simply because I wanted my name on it and, and put a video on there. I've no idea. Probably no one's ever seen it because I don't know how that thing works. But I, I, I need to keep going with it. I've got to try. In fact, I got lost looking at videos of golden doodles on there because we lost our dog recently. And I just was crying watching dog videos on TikTok. That's been my morning. Well, Wonderful. like if you're like everyone else, you've got kids. And uh, they can show us how to use these uh, and tell us where we need to be. I can do, but uh, yeah, I just, I get mansplained by the children now. So it's, uh, it's exhausting. <laughs> That's our new show. Gen X tries to understand. <laughs> Thank you, James. This is something that I look forward to reading with our audience. Our December 20th show with Professor Pamela Bedore. We will be discussing, do they know it's Christmas yet? Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on, Steve, and to you, Chip. It's been wonderful to talk to you and quite exciting to talk to someone on the other side of the Atlantic. How exciting. Well, I I, um, I, I kept – there were so many things I wanted to interject and kind of take our, our conversation further, but I, um, I I have to shut up and just let you – talk about it but i just i i recognize um from i grew i grew up in north carolina and the number of stories that john hughes who is a a writer comedy writer yeah. home alone all those took place in the chicago area mm -hmm. well they use chicago as a backdrop because it really is middle america it's a big city but it's uh it's, it could be a small city and it really um represents a set of values that that many Americans can uh, identify with, where we can't all identify with New York City, and we yeah. can't necessarily all identify with California, like LA type of yeah, uh, yeah. moment. And <clears throat> anyway, I, I um, kept listening to you talking about England and about pop music. I grew up in an area that had a military base near me. And so we, we never knew what soccer team we we're going to have each year because the kids would come in from Germany or they come in from some military base overseas. And, you know, our, our, our music would change. And so they brought all this stuff to us. So we had dance clubs and, and all sorts of, of stuff because these military families just brought it to us. And yeah. so we had the American uh, experience, but we also had – I would say a European experience too, because we just got, listen, XTC played here and we got to hear Alphaville. Wow. And um, uh, in fact, a couple of years ago before pandemic, I got to see Johnny Marr play downtown Chicago. Did you? Wow. And Johnny Marr is, listen, nobody treats their body like Johnny Marr must because he's as thin as a youthful person because he must run <laughs> like, I don't know, 20 <laughs> miles a day. Yeah, yeah. But what I enjoyed most about his concert was how much he just wanted, he was happy to, to play the part. Listen, I'm happy to be here. And everybody there was just happy to be with him. Yeah. And so he would slow down and he would go out into the audience. And you couldn't do that back then because they'd rip your shirt off or whatever. Yeah. It just, 
it's a it was a it's a nostalgia play where going to see Morrissey would not be a nostalgia play necessarily. Yeah, he's yeah. he still wants to be pop star, you yeah, know. Yeah. And it's just a we had a we had a beautiful youth, man. We had, we had a beautiful time to grow up. Yeah, yeah. I would Gen agree. X was the best generation for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for such a small yeah. group. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, and it's it's interesting. With no power. <laughs> What no political about, power whatsoever. No, absolutely. It's it's interesting what you're saying about John Hughes. I I adore those films, and and mm-hmm. I, and I think I talk too much. So I'm sorry if there's a big edit there. Oh for no. Me. I, no, no, no. But no. Um, I think that um, what what is maybe not interesting, but Back to the Future was a love letter, really. Um, oh yeah. To to to, to the producers passed in the fifties, uh, and this is is my love letter. To the eighties, it's just it's just thirty years on, or, or is it forty? Mm-hmm. God, God, I'm getting on. Um, oh, don't, don't do the math. <laughs> decades just fly by now, you know. Yes, they do. Is it amazing? Um, but yeah, uh-huh. this was very much. It's very visual. There's a lot of dialogue in it, so I'm I'm really I'm really very um delighted and grateful that you said what you did about about it because uh, I know it's dialogue heavy and it was very much meant to be a. Hopefully, one day will be a screenplay. So thank you for sticking with it, and thank you so much for talking with me about it. Oh, mm-hmm. thank you. I, thank I, you. I, we, we would be best friends. It's amazing to think how similar our lives are. The Gen X experience of all of those things that we went through at that time and all of those yeah. feelings and, and all that nostalgia. And yes, I'm still stuck in it. I I, I just listened to 80s music. I don't <laughs> know anything about modern music. My 12-year-olds in class tried to explain to me about modern music. And I'm like, they they, they say naughty words too much. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're not recording. Can I say a naughty word? Sure. Go for it. I'm not going to offend you. No. My brother-in-law is a huge Doctor Who fan. And okay. uh, happily, uh, we can bond over our favorite Doctor Who, which for me was Tom Baker, because that mm-hmm. was when I was a child. And uh, quite recently, Chris, my brother-in-law, said, "I, oh, my God, I saw Tom Baker at, at a <gasps> railway station. I saw him oh, at a wow. railway station. And I, and I went, oh, that's amazing. He said, so I went over to, I had to go over to him. I mean, bear in yeah. mind, my brother-in-law's in his 50s now. Mm-hmm. Uh, ran up to Tom and just 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 fangirled him, for want of another mm-hmm. description, and, and just said how much he loved him. And Tom, um, he just fixed him with, you know, that scary glare, which even as a child, I adored him. I wanted him yes. to be my uncle, but it also the way he looked with those big eyes. Mm-hmm. And he just said, I'm working on a book about rats. <laughs> and then he said, right, well, that sounds interesting. And he looked him really in the face and he went, they're all cunts, you know. And got on the train. <laughs> and that's the whole story. I've got my I've got my Tom Baker right here. Here's, ah. here's my Tom Baker autograph. Uh, I I just, I love it. I love the storytelling. I love the humanity that they put into the Doctor Who. I just got back from the convention. We have a, a large Doctor Who convention here in Chicago the weekend after Thanksgiving, uh, the anniversary of Doctor Who. And I, I met Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldred this year, along with uh, Sophia Miles. Right. Who's the, the girl in the fireplace? I don't know if you yeah. you quit Doctor Who before the girl in the fireplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have you are you up to date in the states? Do you get it at the same time as as, as the UK? So you saw this yeah. this most recent one with David Tennant coming back and all that. Yeah. I mean, my brother in law nearly wet himself. He was just <laughs> so, something. <laughs> it's a shame you me- Tom didn't make it. So, something you mentioned was that in in um, 
in Britain, you had four uh, television stations. That's and right. if and while we got cable, not everyone had cable. Right. And I would say we had four radio uh, television stations in the United States too, broadcast over the air. Right. And so we got to see where our shared experiences were. Like on Saturday night, they would play old Twilight Zones, or mm-hmm. they would play Doctor Who, or they would play Monty Python, or something mm-hmm. of that. So we got. There is something very similar there before, you know, the world got cable available to them. So then you had, I don't know, 100 stations with very few things that you wanted to watch, except for. And now we are at a point where, you know, we have streaming services where we were just talking about. They had a free view where you could uh, watch a movie channel, HBO. And and I said, how would you even watch it anymore like this? Because yeah. it's a lot easier just to press go and you watch yeah. it when you want to watch it yeah. on your uh, terms. Yep. Yeah. It's just we we certainly. But that I, takes I, away that conversation. We don't get to have that conversation about what happened last night on TV. Those water cooler moments they talk about. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Right. All gone. Yeah. yeah. But it's but the, the beauty is if though, if you do have a deep. Like, listen, if you love anime, there's an anime convention. And there's mm-hmm. probably a whole group of people who like anime in your area. And if and- you like a specific type of, uh, uh, you know, unique music or unique artwork or unique uh, gaming, you could find people so much easier now than yeah. you could when we were young. Because, I don't know, there was like the so one family know. down the street that played Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And they had the the five or six people, or there was this one group of people, I don't know, across town that did improv. Yeah, but yeah, it's so th- it's it's beautiful in that sense because you could find people who have a deep um, interest in what you you have an interest in. The challenge is is you can become myopic because you're you you, you don't get to. Ex- you're not forced to be part of something that, that, you know, it's not your favorite thing or whatever. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yep. That's, that is the challenge of youth today. I can explain to them all sorts of pop culture things and they go, nah, I'm not interested in that. I'm watching this. Okay. Yeah. I find myself halfway through a conversation in my daughter's bedroom. And then I think, Oh, just don't even finish the word, James. Never <laughs> mind the sentence. Just leave. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We, we also have teenage children. So we, we're, we're all in the same boat, <laughs> my friend. Did they watch? Did they watch Stranger Things? Mine didn't bother with it, but I, I watched it when I was off sick. So I, I, did you like it? I I watched it. I enjoyed it very much. That nostalgia trip and those those stories of humanity finding a way. My sixteen year old did watch it alone in his bedroom. He wouldn't watch it downstairs with his mother and I, but right. he, he watched it. Yeah. So, so this is what I'll mention about Stranger Things. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is next to Durham. And those writers lived in Durham uh, as part of their youth. Well, at Duke University, there was a big paranormal um, uh, department going on at that time. So a lot of the things that Stranger Things is going through. Wow. And up in the Chicago area where Steve is right now, um, right across the border in Wisconsin, was uh, Lake Geneva. That's where Dungeons and Dragons, where they were writing 
the modules and they were taking kids who had a little bit of art skill and they were drawing the the draw uh, elves and all these other characters it really was sort of a fly by night type of yeah. process too we we've got to go up to GaryCon to mm -hmm. to interview the original writers and the artists and then they brought in the big time artists and you know before it was sold off and everything yeah. so there's all these like little connections that I can pull to to Stranger Things, and uh, while it takes place in Indiana is where the story is. I I loved it. I I thought it was a uh, kind of a a pastiche of the '80s with uh, uh, movies and, and writings of the time, the music of the time, especially but, the final season with the the heavy emphasis on music. Oh, and Kate Bush. Yeah, the, the, I, I mean, it, I bought the album. I bought the Hounds of Love album, so that was, you know, when when they went to number one again in the UK, I was I was back at at the school gates. You know, I was fifteen again. I was going, yeah, I bought this. I'm number one because she's number one. <laughs> this is mine. And I have quite a few kids walking around with Stranger Things memorabilia in my school. They they did catch on to that that single moment where they saw that together. So there, that was something. I thought the first seemed quite worthy and and and. Uh, I liked it. And, and the second, I was intrigued as to where it would go. The third seemed like Scooby-Doo because they were just stuck in a, in a shopping mall the whole time. It felt, yeah. it felt like it was different writers. Was that the second That's one? That's the second one. Second right. one is shopping mall. Third one okay. is, it seems like a, a money grab to me. It seems like they needed to finish the story and it's not, it, it didn't grab me the third one as much as the first. The, the finale, so we're talking too much here, but the finale um, of the most recent one, two hours, 20. I mean, I didn't know that. I started yeah, playing yeah. it. And I that kept was, thinking, when's this going to end? Yeah, that was hard work. That's that's not that's not a good uh, sign so, when you're no. when you're watching something. And you so need an that, editor. And, and at this point, we're talking about the real challenge with presentation now. That mm -hmm. some of these stories that are have to be, I don't know, they want to fit them into like this is going to be eight parts. Really, they should be six parts or right, three yeah. parts or whatever it is. Yeah, they, they, we don't. It's they have a contract that says that it has mm -hmm. to be this much. The, yeah. the the reality though is that these are streaming services. Listen, if it needs to be three hours and three parts, then so be it. Um, it doesn't have to. The pandemic played into that though. They they just didn't have it ready because of the pandemic challenges. So they they put it together into this two and a half hour mess. It it just didn't work for me. Wow. Yeah. So it's so, fine. It's so production. awesome production things all right thank you sir james I thank you it. so much and no it's an I'm, absolute pleasure it's been it's well oh, this has been awesome thank you again we'll uh, see you again next lovely. month when you join us for our book club you you would really fit in really well in our book club sir <laughs> it's you lovely would. of you to contact me and thank you both for your time today i'm truly humbled by it thank you very much wonderful thank you for thanks for taking the time and enjoy your what it's now three o'clock in the afternoon go and go enjoy a, a nice tea it's going dark. <laughs> of course it is. Because the days are short. It's winter. It's winter. <laughs> Sun goes down around noon. <laughs> take take, care, guys. take lots of talk. vitamin D. All right. Thank have you, a, sir. Have a great day. Bye now. <laughs>